Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. So if you don't know me, my name is Anthony Johnson. Um, I am an assistant pastor here at, well I am the, I'm the only one, so I'm the assistant pastor here (laughs) at New City Fellowship West End. I am honored that uh, Dr. Williams has um, let, let me preach on such a, I mean, sacred for what the work, the work that God has gone through, Dr. Martin Luther King, not because of Martin Luther King, amen, church. But yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, and I thank you for being gracious to me um, and being here with me as we go, go through this sermon today. Um, I will say this before we get started. Um, Some of the applications in our sermons will be specific, but they also have universal applications. Um, I know in some of these, sometimes these kind of sermons can make um, our white brothers and sisters feel like we're just throwing throwing shots, but that's not the the goal. Um, And my hope is that you um, hear that I do love you and if I say hard things, it's not because I hate you um, or anything like that, or, or I don't think you're already doing enough. <laughs> Amen, church? <clears throat> and I don't know how what I'm going to say is going to hit, but I just did want to say that. So today is MLK Sunday. Tomorrow we honor the life and legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., As a culture, what we also forget about Dr. King is that he was a churchman as well as a noted activist. That means that Dr. King loved the church and he loved God's people. Considering his love of the church and God's people, today we will explore Dr. King's theology of the Imago Dei or his theology of mankind. Please please join me in Psalm 8 in Genesis, in the book of Genesis Chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Um, Let us read God's word together. Is there a slide before that one? Can we go back a slide? Or is that the first one that popped up? Okay. All right. So let let us read God's word together. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, and this is Psalm 8, by the way. We have set, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in the place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over all the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is Genesis 1 chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make men in our image after our 
our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male, and he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Church, I want to tag our time in our text today, God's masterpieces, the heart of our resistance. God's masterpieces, the heart of our resistance. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to engage, to continue our worship by engaging in your word. I pray that you let Anthony Johnson decrease and you increase, O oh Lord, so that we all may hear your word and first worship you and walk in it. And all God's people said, amen. When the thought of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King rests on our minds, we often recall the great speeches, the protests, nonviolence, the great concepts of love, unity, and justice. Yet considering these wonderful things associated with Dr. King, his theology of humanity gets lost in the sands of time. Dr. King's doctrine of humanity forms the bedrock of his speeches his protests, his concept of love, justice, and unity. Listen to the words of his speech before the Montgomery bus boycott. And you know, my friends, there comes a time when people get tired of being trampled over by the iron feet of oppression. There comes a time, my friends, when people get tired of being plunged across the abyss of humiliation where they experience the bleakness of nagging despair. There comes a time when people get tired of being pushed out of the glittering sunlight of, of life's July and left standing amid the piercing chill of an alpine November. There comes a time. We are all here, we are all here this evening because we're tired now. In other words, Saints, there comes a time when people get tired of having the flaming fire of the Imago Day in them, the image of God, snuffed out by the blanket of oppression. In today's time when resistance and liberation are rightly at the forefront of a lot of folks' minds, it can be easy for all of us to trail away from the well-worn path to resistance paved with the footprints of African-American Christians such as Dr. King, Harriet Tuckman. Vernon Johns, Richard Allen, Sojourner Truth, Phyllis Wheatley, Denmark Vesey, Francis Grimke, and Henry Highland Garnett. And if you didn't know, the last two brothers were Presbyterians, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> and many countless other African-American believers who knew the source of resistance was not human will. It wasn't rhetoric, it wasn't hashtags, 
or it wasn't particular strategies. On the contrary, and there's a place for all those things. Don't hear what I'm not, not saying. They knew that the rivers of freedom, mercy, justice, righteousness, all flow back to one source, the triune God making people in his image. It is into this current state of affairs that we need our spiritual uncles and our spiritual aunties to disciple us in continuing the legacy of resistance to white supremacy. Now, some of us here may hear white supremacy, and the first thing that we think of is, um, like I hate to say it like this, but white men in sheets and burning crosses. That's an aspect of white supremacy, but how we're going to uh, define white supremacy in our time today is I have three plus or minus dimensions of white supremacy. The reason I put the plus or minus right there is simply this. There may be other people with different definitions that may take away some things, and there may be other people that may add some things. So that's why I have three plus, to let, let you know that there's, there's other people working on this, and I'm, I'm not like a sociological expert. Just wanted to throw it out there. But the, for our time today, the first dimension is narrative. It's the cultural myth that white people are superior and or normative. There's ethnic hair care versus hair care. Multicultural typically means white plus another culture. It's structural. It's laws and social practices that uphold the, hold the myth of white superiority and normativity. Why is it in 2019 that we still needed a Crown Act to protect hair diversity? It's spiritual. It's white people's religious thinking and religious practice is superior and normative. Example, we have books called Christian theology rather than Anglo-Saxon theology. So white supremacy has three dimensions. And our, like I said, our, our aunties and our aunts is going to disciple us in how to resist white supremacy. And what the lesson that they leave us with is we must continue the legacy of, of, of the resistance to white supremacy because we are God's masterpiece. I'm going to give it to us again. We must continue the legacy of resistance to white supremacy because we are God's masterpieces. Now the question comes, how are we God's masterpieces? Buckle up, because I got four points, and I'm not going to try to keep us, keep us here that long, but our four points today are, we are made by God in his image. Our creator God is great. We have divine purpose. We are made for eternity. Now that we know where we're headed, let us hit our first point today. Saints, we are made by God in his image. There's no doubt in the scripture that we are made by God. It is assumed in scripture that we are made by God. You can doubt what the weatherman may say. How many of us have been told it's going to rain and we went out in raincoats and there was sunshine out there? You can doubt the flip of a coin, but what we can't doubt is that scripture affirms that God has made Man, Moses shows us that in Genesis 1, chapter 26, when he, said, when he says, when he has God telling us that let us, here it is, make man. 
that word make right there in Genesis 1, 20, 26 has the connotation of being fashioned with the hands. And if I could take, take time to say that, that means that God took time and fashioned us with his hands. We are made by God. And to go, and to go a little bit further, Mo, uh, the psalmist in 139 goes back to that idea of us being fashioned by God's hand when he says this, for you formed my inner work parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God formed us and God is fearfully and he's wonderfully made us. Scripture says it again in our passage for they, for today in Psalm 8, 8 uh, verse 5, you have made him, talking about mankind, and to you is God, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowns him with glory and honor. Saints, we have been made by God. Not only are we made by God, we are also made in God's image. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, Moses has God saying this about us. Let us make man in our, here it is, image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. See, I did that uh, print on both sides, got lost. My fault. <laughs> in the image of God, he created them male and female. Scripture also affirms our immaturity in, in Genesis chapter 9. It's actually the grounds why we don't murder nobody because that person that you may take their life is a fellow image bearers. Brothers and sisters, we are created by God in his image. We are his masterpieces. So you may say, how does that help us resist white supremacy? That helps us resist the narrative of white supremacy that says that white is superior and normative. Because it's a demonic lie. It does not line up with the scriptural record. This narrative impacts African Americans because it was created to subjugate us. The narrative says our hair was not good enough. My black brother or my black sister. Mm, my, my, my. Your tight woolly curls were made by God. It's beautiful in a perm. Fade. Afro. Dreads. 360 waves. Come on, come on, say that. <laughs> <laughs> and the many other creative styles we have made from our good hair. We ain't got no bad hair. That's a lie. You ain't got bad hair. You got God imaging hair. Your nose, made by God. We know what they said about our noses. You breathe in air that God breathed in, so your nose is an instrument of imaging God. The body types, your body type was made by God. Your body type 
is the way that God images himself. It shouldn't take Sir Mix-a-Lot to make us appreciate our bodies. Our lips, we have full lips. Amen, your full lips is beautiful. Those full lips were made by God. So whenever you move them, you can praise his name and image him. We were called salvages, sav not salvages, savages, and not in the way people use it today as a compliment. <laughs> but the Bible refutes that. I'm reminded the Queen of Sheba, she was black. In order to get all the way to Israel, you got to have money, and you got to have the te technology to do that. So we see people that look like us already had that going on apart from white influence. Matter of fact, you can even put it like this. It was a black woman that knew enough about God to go find out where he was in Israel. Some of us are sitting here today because a black woman knew enough about God to see the potential in you. And what she did was got down on her knees and said, Lord, I don't, it may not be right for me, but my, my kids, my grandkids, would you make it better for me? We're made in the image of God. We're intelligent. We ain't property, unless you're talking God's property like Uncle Kurt Franklin. <laughs> we ain't lazy. We built a whole country with no wages, no education, with our bare hands, and we still ain't got our money yet. The narrative of white supremacy, that white is superior and normative, is just wrong. And for my white brothers and sisters, it's damaged you too. Here's how. White supremacy, this narrative, has robbed white brothers and sisters of some of your ethnic riches as well. One of the things that I've heard that's sad for me from white brothers and sisters is, I don't really have a culture. You do. Your, your ancestors were forced to make a decision of survival and forsake ethnic heritage to fit into the narrative. And you ain't got to be ashamed of that, just like we ain't got to be ashamed that our ancestors may have been slaves. This is an all-encompassing narrative that's caused damage to everyone. Not one person has been left unsaved, not un unscathed. Because we in here, we got saved, amen. We're going to that, we're gonna get, that to, get to that later. <laughs> Here's what Tom Skinner says. I am secure in who I am. I am a black man in whom God is living. 
I no longer have to be ashamed. I have discovered what I already knew, but in a very real way now. Black is beautiful, and a lot more than that, a lot more beautiful since Jesus Christ is living through it. And, and one of the things I have discovered is that Jesus looks great in black. God looks great in black. And if I can rhyme it a little bit, don't you forget that. <laughs> now that we know that we're created and God, created by God in his image, we move to our second point to, sh to show us that we're God's masterpiece. Saints, oh, and you can use that QR code if you want to cop that book, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, this moves up to our second point. Our creator God is great. Brothers and sisters, our God is great. The sun is great. The sun can see in rays from millions and millions of miles away and heat our planet. The sun gives life and food to plants. The sun has, I'm just gonna say eight plus planets. They keep demoting planets, I don't know what they're doing. But the sun has eight plus planets that go around it, the biggest being Jupiter. And we know how great Jupiter is, but even Jupiter goes around the sun as if to say, Jupiter, you need to bow down to me because I'm the center of this solar system. The sun is great. It impacts solar weather in the solar system. The sun is great, but the sun's greatness does not compare to God. The sky is great. The sky controls the weather. The sky affects moods. A gray sky can make your mood feel a little bit gloomy and lethargic, but, a, but a, a blue skies can give us energy. The sky is home to the stars at night. The sky is home to rainbows. Anybody ever seen a beautiful rainbow in the sky? Like we, like I, I took a, man, y'all gonna make fun of my little Android phone, but whatever. I took a phone with my droid. That mug was grainy, but it still showed the rainbow. You know what I'm saying? And it was beautiful, and the sky held, was a home to that. The sky hosts the morning dawn and all of the gradient beauty that comes with it. It hosts the, the kaleidoscope of color with the sunset. The sky is great, but even the sky's greatness does not compare to that of God. The moon controls the tides of our earth, and it gives its light from the sun. The moon is great, but it doesn't compare to the greatness of our God. The stars that we see in the air are actually stars much like the one in our so that controls our solar system. They send their, their lights about a lot of light years away, and it's beautiful in our night sky, and as great as they are, they still don't co compare to the greatness of God. This is what David is getting at in, in, chap in Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through, through 3, when he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and avengers. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set, set in place, 
he gets to the point where he says, when I look at how great God is, when I look over the things that his hands have fashioned, the only thing that I'm left with is one question. When I think about the greatness of God, what? Let me come at you another way. God made the mountains. God made the oceans. He is the creator of all things. And in the greatness of all of that, Isaiah, you remember what Isaiah had? He couldn't even say nothing. Look, God is so great, he got angels before him that the only thing they can say about his greatness is holy, holy, holy. So when David gets right here, the only question that he has is, what is man that you are even mindful of him, that you would even think, think of him? Folks, brothers and sisters, friends, our God is great, and we are, our, we are his masterpieces. Saints, that, there's two levels to this application that I'm going to give you. First level, that means you come from good stock. Maybe, you, maybe you're a little older. That, can I, maybe if you're a little bit, maybe you get, let me come at you a little another way. That means... You got good lineage. Your lineage is the almighty God. It starts there. It ain't about who your uncle was. It ain't about who, who your auntie was. It ain't about your mama. It ain't about your daddy. Your lineage goes right back to God. You great, not because you great by yourself. You great because you got a great God that created you in this image. And if God is great, then you're going to image greatness. Amen, church? <laughs> now, what that also means is when we resist white supremacy, you know what you're going to run into? Strongholds. You know what strongholds are? It's what the devil sets up to keep people in bondage. Here's what Dr. King says about running into, into strongholds, because I don't know, I'm not trying to, how do I say this? Sometimes in today's time, we can, we can forget that the Montgomery bus boycott was not a three-week thing. It lasted a year. A year. And not only, so people were walking to work for a whole year to uphold their, their um, God-given dignity. There was folks that had more means that were picking people up, including Dr. Martin Luther King himself. He actually picked, took his car and I, you can fit a lot of people in them cars back in the day. <laughs> he, he used his car to pick people up. So pushes, pushes toward justice and kingdom justice isn't something that you can just accomplish within, within a two or three week period. I ain't trying to throw no shade at nobody. I'm just saying this is what the historical facts have shown us, that it takes more than just a little bit. You gonna face some strongholds. When you start hitting strongholds, you know what you gonna get? Resistance, and the resistance can actually take you out. And Dr. King describes this. He says, for a period, a movement may follow a straight line, and then it encounters obstacles and in, in, uh, path bends. In other words, there's going to be hills and valleys in, the, in this thing. And so, saints, are you ready? Are you ready to get called out your name sometimes? Marxist, liberal, race raider, troublemaker, heretic, 
other racial slurs? Are we ready to miss out on opportunities sometimes? That job, speaking engagements, promotion. Maybe you don't even get invited to that cool friend group that you wanted to be a part of. Are we ready to lose some relationships? And I'm not, I'm not talking about cutting people out. That's a, whole, that's a whole other conversation that we can't get into right now. But I'm talking about like relationships that you're really trying to hold on to. Lifelong friends, sometimes parents, grandparents, boyfriend, girlfriend. Are we ready for the very people we call ourselves trying to be a voice, voice, voice for to reject us? Not all black churches marched with Dr. King. Not all black churches gave Dr. King a thumbs up and say, you know what, brother? Right on, you're doing a good job. Some were highly critical of Dr. King. So folks that we call ourselves trying to be a voice for, for might reject you along the way. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for it to possibly cost our lives? It ended up costing Dr. King his lives, his life. He wasn't at home when he was assassinated. If I remember correctly, he was in Memphis to try to fight for the rights of black sanitation workers so they can get treated right. It costed him his life. In other words, we all have to pick up our crosses. And in the words of Pastor DJ, picking it up ain't easy. Our God is great, though, church. When you run into those obstacles, the way that you endure is that God is great. This takes us to our third point. We have divine purpose. Saints, God has given us a purpose. If you didn't know it, now you know. If you're walking around thinking you ain't got a purpose, God gave you a purpose. Can I put it in another way? You're not a trophy creation. God intent, didn't intend you to sit at home and look pretty, okay? God gave us all a purpose. How, here we go. I can tell you. Here it is in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So that's, you got a job that covers everything, okay? Here we go. Genesis 28 says the same thing. He gives, here's another job. And he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, the sea, and over the birds of the heavens and over every little living thing that moves on the earth. I'm a, let me give it to you again. Psalm 8, 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand and put all things under his feet. So let's break it down for a little bit. Dominion means that we have rule. That means that we are in charge of it. When you rule over something, you make laws and, and governments to actually make it work, and you have to do, do all those things. So what that tells us is sometimes we can believe that the creation of human governments and all, and all of that 
is a result of the fall? No, it's not. God, God always intended us to create human governments. The only difference between what we have now and what God intended is it wouldn't be so jacked up. <laughs> Secondly, there's subdue. When you subdue something, in the scripture, subdue means to, to basically take the raw, raw materials of creation and make stuff. So that means build roads, build buildings, make computers, make phones. Like technology and all the stuff that we have now isn't a result of the fall. It's what God has always intended for mankind to be doing, to, to rule over creation and to use creation to build things to to, to, do, to do stuff like that, okay? And then I'm just going to assume, fill, and multiply um, are self-explanatory. <laughs> but, but don't let us not hear that and think, think, think that just because we don't have a marital status that seems like we can, can fulfill that. Some commands in Scripture are not all the way universal, and I can't, I can't predict, so if you're in a place where God has you single right now, and I don't know what God's plan for that is, I'm not a prophet, don't want to be one because they, they all ended up dead. Um, <laughs> so that command may not, that command doesn't presently apply, apply from you, and I can't tell you when it, when it will. So that's something not to feel, not to feel ashamed about. It's, it's in there. But it's not everything in Scripture that God commands doesn't always apply. Do you remember when, because God is able to like, I don't want to say make exceptions, God's law can actually be applied with wisdom. You remember with the daughters of Zolophay, I think I said his name right, when they had certain laws on the books that made it so they wouldn't be able to inherit, God was able to apply that law with wisdom and justice. And I'm just going to leave, leave that right there. Um, so... We have divine purpose to multi multiply, rule, and to cultivate. Now, if we do all three of those things, you know what happens? Flourishing. Y'all not excited about that. <laughs> Let me put it like this. That means that things are going to work the way that they're supposed to, that you're going to get everything that you, that you was intended to get, to get. That means that if everyone, God intended flourishing, that means there would be no poverty. There would be no, no unjust systems. And so God's command is that we actually work toward flourishing. Our purpose, then, church, is to flourish. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's a command. We are commanded to flourish. I'm going to take this application different than I have it written down. Flourishing in here, if you see, comes with the idea of ownership. All things considered, the earth is the Lord and everything in the fullness thereof. But it comes with a sense of ownership. One of the things that I'm still wrestling with as the Holy Spirit showed, showed, showed me this as I was studying some of this stuff is, Sometimes we work for justice for, for us as a people without this concept that the earth actually belongs to us. 
The earth belongs to us. God gave us an earth to help cultivate. The reason that we resist unjust social practices is that God intended black people to actually own stuff and be responsible for stuff. That's, I'm still, that's still messing me up and I'm figuring out all the implications. But my suspicion is the reason that we don't allow people to oppress us is because God gave it to us. It's going after what God intended for us. The reason we don't accept substandard education and we fight for better education isn't just because it's wrong, but it's actually blocking the blessing of God that God gave to us. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm still working through that. I don't got a full application for you, but maybe, I don't know, like wrestle with that. What does it look like to wrestle against injustice with the heart, all things considered, that God has given me the world and every resource in it. He's given it to me to flourish as an African-American. And that was his intention, and that was his purpose, and he's glad about it, and he wants that to happen. I wonder if we would stop limiting our humanity to fit into certain spaces. I wonder if we would stop narrowly defining, quote unquote, what it means to be black. I wonder if we would actually see ourselves as global citizens and this is a world that God intended for us to explore. I just, I just wonder, would you wonder with me? This brings me to my last point, if I can find it. <laughs> Saints, we are God's masters, masterpieces, and we're meant, and God intended for us to last for eternity. Or eternity. Now, how do we know that? How do I get, get there? Because of God's command to Adam in Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17. Read with me. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, here's the question for us. Why did God say you're going to die? Here's the answer, because y'all look confused. <laughs> he said it because he intended mankind to live and not die. Sometimes we treat death like it's just a part of the human story. It's not. Death isn't a part of the story. It never was intended to be. It's actually the enemy. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that death, the last enemy, will be destroyed. I don't know about you. When I have a gathering of my friends, you know who I don't invite? My enemies. Now, you can look at me and say, well, pastor, you're supposed to love your enemies. Yes, yes, you are. 
But let me tell you something. You don't invite your enemies when you have a gathering either. <laughs> so we are, look, we all need to grow in sanctification together. Amen, church? When, you, when we have holiday gatherings, you know who you don't invite? Your enemies. <laughs> and if they do show up, you're going to be like, oh, they always got to be messing up something. You know who you don't invite to your baby baby shower? Y'all can say it. Your enemies. <laughs> In the same way, death is an enemy that God didn't invite to the party of creation. Saints, we were meant to last to eternity. Now, I'm going to give you a silly example. Legos are fun, right, Isaiah? Legos are fun. I love Legos. The only thing is, I'm a grown man. I don't want no Spider-Man set. I don't want nothing to do with that. Don't give me no Avengers set. Don't give me no Lego Batman set. Can we go to the next slide? That's the kind of Legos I need right there. <laughs> That's the kind of Legos I need right there. The only thing that limits that is them mugs is expensive in my budget. <laughs> but, but when you put a Lego set like those ones together, you don't put them things together and say, man, we finna take this thing right back apart. Nobody, <laughs> no, you put them things up you put them on the higher shelf if you got kids or if you got nieces and nephews coming over. First thing you do, come on, hey, get the Millennium Falcon. We putting them up. Little, little Ray Ray is coming over. You know he just like get into everything. You, you put it up and you don't, you know what I'm saying? You, you put it up because it's not meant to be broken and it's meant to last as long as it can last. And in the same way, church, God intended us to last for eternity. Now, you may ask what we would have been doing if we were with God for eternity. Let me tell you something. It's very simple. You're going to be worshiping. <laughs> we're going to worship God for eternity. And we, we said that the narrative of white supremacy touches our religious thinking. This is where the scripture speaks into that. Scripture always intended that God would be worshiped with one voice, but that voice would be many languages in many cultures. Now, how does that one voice sound? Only, only God knows and the apostle John knows, because he told us how it looked in Revelation 7. Now, he said that there was a lot of nations and there was a lot of tongues. So what that means for us in the narrative of white supremacy when it comes to religious thinking is that white worship, or let me, re let me rephrase that, Eurocentric worship or European worship isn't evil. But it also means that it isn't the only worship. It also means that it isn't normative. God images himself in European culture. I know that's unpopular to say, maybe unpopular to say in today's times, but God images himself through European cultures that are, that are that's in a way that's beautiful and wonderful. Where we got in trouble is when we start saying that this is the only way that you gotta do it or you ain't doing it right, okay? Y'all with me, church? So. At our church, we do worship in a little bit more culturally specific way. We sing gospel music because it's an authentic worship style of African-American community that represents our experience of living life that intertwines with praise and lament. We have dialogical sermons, we're getting there, um, 
because it's a preaching style in the African-American community to remind us that we are the people of God and not just one person can do this by themselves. We reject the lie that God only cares about human souls and not human bodies. You know, did you know that African-American Christians have been doing that for centuries? They've been preaching a very, very clear gospel of you need to repent of your sin and you need to stop doing personal sins that limit your flourishing, right? But you know what the African-American Christian tradition has also done over the years? It's also preached the same gospel to the structures of society, saying, hey, repent of treating us like not fellow image bearers. Look, I ain't even know that there was a thing. I ain't no shade or anything. I'm just being real as I can be right now. I ain't even know that there was a thing that you could separate those things until I got to seminary. Just saying. We reject religious white supremacy because God intends us to last forever, and forever is too long to have just one flavor of anything. <laughs> Come on, hey, look. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's the Israelites in the desert. <laughs> This manna, this manna, manna, manna. <laughs> Mugs end up missing out on the promise. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I got my own little, I mean, yet. <laughs> God help me. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Hey. <laughs> yet this hope of lasting forever does not apply to all of humanity. He has made everything beautiful in its time is what the author of Ecclesiastes says. He's also put eternity into man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, God created us for eternity, but when we fell in the garden, what happened is eternity was still in our heart, but we knew that it was still far away. In other, yet God does not leave us longing to understand his work. He sends the ultimate masterpiece so we don't got to go searching for eternity. The Christian message is on the contrary. Eternity came to find us. The ultimate masterpiece says, I've come to save sinners. Those folks that rebelled against God. The ultimate masterpiece is the uncreated eternal image of the living God. Paul says it in Colossians 1 verse 15 that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And I love how Paul puts it in Colossians 1.15. If you notice right there, he said he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, when you're the firstborn, that means you inherit everything. So when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, you know what that means? That means that the cultural mandate, come on now, the cultural mandate fully applies to him. And he came as the image of the living God. He rules over creation as its firstborn. This means that this masterpiece is the one in Hebrews that picks up the theme of Psalm 8. When it says, he put everything in subjection to his feet, now in putting everything in subjection to him, it left nothing outside of his control. 
at present, we do not know everything in subjection to him. In other words, church, when Jesus, I told you who the ultimate masterpiece, but I'm going to keep going. When Jesus came as the image of the living God, he took on the cultural mandate. That's what it means when it says that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That means that he's ruling over everything. He's over governments. He's directing things according to his purpose. Another thing that author in Hebrews tell us is how he got his crown of glory. See, it says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, yet he, he was crowned with glory and honor because of the first, for, because of the suffering of death. You see, 2,000 years ago, on a little hill called Calvary, the ultimate masterpiece, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. He took on the curse of death so that we may have life. It's why the author says, so that by the grace of God, he may taste death for, any, for everyone. So as I leave us today, let us look to the master, G, G, masterpiece Jesus Christ as he's the heart of our resistance to all injustice. Saints, by looking at our present reality when a black man is still killed by the police with a taser laser, it's easy to lose our courage and conviction. Let us remember that the ultimate masterpiece is great in glory. He's greater than candy yams out of Big Mama's kitchen. He's greater than Jordan, Jordan 1's fresh out of the box. He's greater, way, greater than MJ on a breakaway. He's greater than a sunset by an ocean. He's greater than a new episode of Abbott Elementary. He's greater than an expensive cup of coffee in the morning. He's greater than what your girlfriend or your boyfriend may look like, he's greater. He's greater than the sun millions and millions of miles away. He's still greater. He's greater than crooked crops. He's greater than an iron fist of oppression. He's greater than the forked tongue lives of white supremacy. He's greater than the iron chains of our own sin. He's the author of a new narrative about black humanity and all humanity. He breaks the chains of oppression and injustice in the structures of a society because his rulership has brought the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the one that's greater. Do you know that he's greater today? Come on, it was an old hymn that says, I was sinking in sin far from the peaceful shore. But when great God enters the story, today we're here to celebrate that great God has entered Thanks for listening and God bless.